Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Frederico, what is happening this week? Anton, this week we're chatting with Sarah from Wholesale Ted. So they'll pay me 225% commissions. I don't get that immediately. So I get 100% the first month. I get 100% the second month if they stay subscribed. And then I get 25% on the third month. Now, Ant, I know I say this every week, but there were some fantastic points here, especially because we always get asked about what it's like to run an affiliate program or have an affiliate link um, to a product online. And Sarah talks all about that, including how you actually make a lot of money from that. And she also talks about how to basically get someone else to do your editing, something YouTubers find really hard to do. Frederico, before we get started, we've been working really hard in the background on our own online course called Changer College, the online college just for content creators. Check it out at changercollege.com. That's C-H-A-N-G-E-R college.com. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. We're here at Creator Generation with Sarah Crisp from the YouTube channel, Wholesale Ted. Sarah, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Hey, um, where are you? I am in Christchurch, New Zealand, where I'm probably going to be for quite some time. <laughs> and I am here in Melbourne with very much similar stuck here at home for a little while. Frederico, where are you? I am at home in Brisbane and I'm actually set up a studio on my couch today to <laughs> to change it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Comfy. I'm in my bedroom. Nice. <sighs> Welcome to my bedroom, everyone. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, um, Sarah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Even though you are stuck at home, you are a busy YouTube creator. And I mentioned before your channel is Wholesale Ted, but can you, like, that name probably doesn't give anyone any <laughs> hints to what your channel could possibly be about, unless uh, you're one of the many, probably millions of people that have seen your channel. Um, can you give us a bit of an intro to who you are and what is Wholesale Ted? Absolutely. Uh, So there is actually a slight hint in the name because of wholesale. Uh, So my YouTube channel uh, gives actionable advice to people that want to start online businesses, but in particular e-commerce. And so uh, that's where wholesale comes in because, of course, oftentimes you buy products at wholesale rates. (laughs) So there's a slight hint in there. But yes, a YouTube channel with actionable advice for uh, people with online businesses. Amazing. And before we sort of get a bit further into the channel, the the name Ted, what's that got to do with things? What's going on there? Ah, so when I first started uh, the channel, I had a business partner um, and that was Ted. And uh, what happened was that um, we quickly dis- we quickly found out that not everybody enjoys creating content. Uh, I really love it, um, but it's very time consuming creating content. Um, so very early on, um, like I was because I wasn't the one that came up with the brand. Ted was it was wholesale Ted, but very early on, I bought Ted out for the entire share of the company. Um, so I've got the name now. I considered changing it, but um, by the time I found out that I could change it, I discovered that um, it could it could be different now. But YouTube would uh, delete all of my comments that I had replied to people on my channel, so I decided to stick with the name Wholesale Ted, and um, it's just become my thing. I, I, I like it now. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you change to a brand account. You change the brand on your account. All your old comments responses disappear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it's a hot pain. Tip, hot tip. It, it, it is a hot tip. Getting... Yeah. Yeah, if you're setting up your channel, set it up as a brand account. Makes yeah. no difference other than later on down the track, you might want some functionality. 
and you don't want to switch it later. So yeah. there you go. Look at that. Actionable advice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's what, right. it's what I'm here for. Uh, Sarah, with your channel at the moment being uh, what it, it's all about, you know, helping people uh, build their own businesses and especially with online businesses, your your channel must be going nuts in this COVID-19 world, right? Yeah, it's definitely seen an increase. Um, it hasn't seen as big of an increase. I wouldn't say it's going nuts, but um, I think when I like try, try and think of the stats in my head right now, I think it's probably increased by about uh, maybe like 40% the traffic numbers. Initially, it went down, which I think a lot of people's went down probably surprisingly. Like I, thought it was, I thought it was sort of surprising it went down, but it went down very shortly when the crisis first started happening. I think just because people were very interested, like all people wanted to consume was uh, media relating to coronavirus, but then once everything started settling down, people wanted to start, you know, other things. And of course, you've got a lot of free time on your hands. Um, why not start an online business? So definitely seen an increase in traffic for sure. I've actually got a theory on the the dip. It, it's called. I'm calling it the Tiger King dip. <laughs> the Tiger King. The entire dip. world was just that. Had a week where we just had to watch Tiger King. <laughs> um, and then we came back to YouTube. Yes, it was interesting because it was like a really sharp like V. It went drastically down, but then it went drastically up again. So there we go. I didn't think about the Tiger King, but that's probably what it was. Fred, surely you've seen the Tiger King. I have. In fact, my Zoom background is the Tiger King background. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it's, uh, you can't use it on, on Hangouts, but on Zoom, I'm, I'm all about the Tiger King. Nuts. Yeah, I've been cultivating my Tiger King hair for quite a while. I'm ready for this. Time. Everyone is cultivating. If you look, I was just looking at myself. I was so disheveled. I haven't got a haircut. Beard's growing. It's uh, yeah, and everyone in their zoo, in, in the meetings here attend now. It's getting progressively more and more and more and more wild. But uh, it, it's, it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah, Sarah. So going back to to you, you and the, the more interesting topic of you and your your, your channel and your business. Um, <laughs> Like, how did it all start? You sort of alluded to it before, but like, what made you take a leap and start creating YouTube content? Yeah, so um, uh, with um, with e-commerce, um, my main traffic source is always Google search engine traffic or um, like search engine traffic from uh, external like third-party marketplaces. That's what I've always been interested in. Is algorithms. Um, so I remember I was once at uh, an SEO conference um, and they somebody mentioned the YouTube algorithm. I thought, that's pretty cool. And so that filtered into my brain. And then I was on YouTube and I was looking up videos related to e-commerce. And I very quickly discovered that back then, it's so crazy because you wouldn't think this now because now there's like infinite numbers of videos. But I was, I want to say I was the first. I know that probably sounds really arrogant, but I swear I was pretty much the first because when I was looking for videos like you know, five years ago, none existed in the space at all. And I thought, you know what? I really want content to help me uh, improve my online sales, but I can't find it. If I'm looking for this, then other people are probably looking for this as well. And I'm also super curious about this YouTube algorithm thing. I wonder uh, if if I can, I, I, I don't want to say manipulate it, but that was, that was what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a mixture of just thinking that if I wanted content and it doesn't exist, then surely others want it too. Um, and uh, I thought that I had pretty much nothing to lose because even if nobody saw it, you know, 
like and also my standards for um like what I thought would be a success were extremely small because I didn't have anything to compare it to I, it's not like I had another YouTube channel to be like if I don't make those numbers it's not that good if I got anyone to view it I thought that would be kind of cool so I decided just to try awesome what do you remember what your first video was yeah um so uh, it was a slide. Well, it was a slideshow mixed with um, screen capture. So it was just showing people how to set up an Amazon account if they live outside of the United States, um, which is very different to the content that I create now. Uh, but back then, I I didn't have a camera, and I did. Yeah, you know, I I would never have. Cons- to be honest, back then I wouldn't have considered getting a camera because back then it wasn't like there wasn't anything around like teaching you how to start a YouTube channel, or at least nothing that I knew of. So the idea of buying a camera and like not taking a risk per se, but just like just jumping in seemed kind of strange. So I was like, well, I'll just make some, I'll like, I'll talk over top of a slideshow and I'll also uh, connect it up to uh, me recording my screen, showing how to do it. And so that's what it was. It was so basic. And from there, was that the, did it do what you wanted it to do? Is it like what? Uh, I guess I didn't, to be honest with you, back then, it's not that I wanted it to do anything. What what I wanted to do was to see if I could, um, if I put videos up and I made it friendly for YouTube's algorithm to be able to discover it and understand it, to see, I was just curious at the time how it would do. And I knew, I knew of ways that I could monetize it if it did take off. Um, and uh, once that video did take off, to be honest, I can't remember the exact traffic numbers, but like they took off enough that I was like, oh, you know, this one, I like if this one worked out, my very, because my first, my, I was very lucky. My very first video was a success. So I thought if this is a success, then um, I'll keep making more. So you sort of alluded to, to that, like you already had an online business or businesses before you started yeah. making YouTube. Can you, do you, are you keen to sort of shed some light on what they were or are? Yeah. Um, so I had like a con- so I had um, a, a store that sold video game uh, hacking accessories. Um, so like um, mod chips um, and uh, what they're called flashcards. It just lets you do things with your video game consoles that were not intended. You you can use them for illegal purposes, but to be honest, I wasn't actually. I myself wasn't using them for illegal purposes. You can use them for many, like lots of all, lots of different things. You can install really cool firmware onto your consoles. It allows you to play video games in regions because um, a lot of video game companies will. Uh, region lock their systems so like a game might get released in Japan and they never bring it to um, New Zealand or the United States but you want to play it but you can't play it on your system because of regional differences so uh, that allows you to import games um, so I was doing that um, and also uh, had an SEO agency um, and uh, worked in uh, the consulting field in affiliate marketing. Um, so that was my initial thought was I was like, well, I, I wasn't thinking of a, of YouTube in terms of e-commerce. I was thinking this could be a really interesting passive source of income down the road to connect with affiliate marketing. Um, but I didn't start it with the intention of like this definitely being a like a like a because back in those days, like, you know, again, like I knew nobody with a YouTube channel. I was I I, I didn't really start it to 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 become a big business thing. I thought it had the potential, but the main purpose was just out of curiosity. Mm. And as your content sort of uh, grew, like how did you start coming up with the ideas around you know what people specifically wanted to see? Um, so I guess that was actually quite interesting. That was that was definitely um, 
I guess in retrospect, a challenge because I didn't have any other YouTube channels in the space to look at. I couldn't look at other YouTube channels uh, making content on e-commerce and say, oh, these videos are popular. They will do well. Um, I you, I pretty much used my, I, I would just think about what I wanted. What did I want? What content would I want? Um, and then I made videos based on that. Uh, in time, it evolved. As more channels entered the space, I um, would watch their YouTube channels and then make content based around, uh, like, looking at what popular videos they had and then think, well, I'll use these as ideas for my own. Although as time's gone, time has gone on, I've now gone back to just thinking more about uh, content that I would personally find valuable and because I'm, like, I, 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 because I'm interested in my own niche, um, I can use myself in many respects as a yardstick for trying to figure out what other content people would be interested in too. Okay. And, but I mean, the, the contact can be quite technical. Um, you know, yeah. you, you explain how certain affiliate schemes work or, you know, how, you know, drop shipping works, things like that can be very technical and, and require a lot of research. Does, does, do you find that you have to research topics a lot before you come up with them or develop them? Yeah. No, well, I guess this is the thing, right? Because because I know so much about it already. Because you know, like I do this, like I don't actually, I don't, I don't really have to. I don't, I don't have to do. Much. There, there's some things that I have made videos on where I've had to research them, especially if I want to look at case studies from other people as well. Um, but I mean, I, I can write a lot of most of my videos. I write just based off of information I have in my own head. <laughs> Interesting, and. Um, have you found that over time, like you, I mean, there's always, like, is there an infinite thing, amount of things you can talk about when it comes to e-commerce online stores and running your own business? Or do you think, you know, it's definitely narrow, especially given what people are specifically interested in doing? That's a really interesting question. So um, for me, I can usually find infinite numbers of things to talk about mm. um, because of the fact that like, I'm so obsessed with it. So that's why I often tell people who are interested in starting a YouTube channel to, um, it's, it's usually a good idea, in my personal opinion, to start one on a subject that you are very passionate about because you're going to be making content on the subject for a very long time. The challenge is not so much me being able to come up with things to talk about because I can always come up with things to talk about. The, the question is just, can I keep other people interested in, my, in the things that I talk about? Um, and one of the really challenging things, too, is that over time, some of my audience becomes advanced and then I get on new, I get new people into my channel and those new subscribers, um, you know, they're often beginners in uh, their online business and they're still learning things. So trying to create content um, that works for everybody is definitely, that, that's, that's the bigger challenge. Mm. Well, you said you use yourself as the yardstick to what to make, but then there's obviously that conundrum you just mentioned. So how does someone like yourself like how do you address that like yeah I, that's a really great question too um so oh, uh i think <laughs> um i think like in terms of that then like you've got to be very empathetic to your audience so everything i do with my youtube channel i'm constantly thinking about my audience you know, before i put like if like as i am writing my script i'm thinking about will my audience want this will my audience want this and so when, I, when, I, when I'm trying to make my content appeal to, um, uh, to like my beginner audience, I go back to myself in my earlier stages of my business and I think, well, what things were driving me? What was I thinking about? What was I concerned about? The concerns you have um, when you're just starting an online business are often very different to the concerns that you have down the track. So I can still use myself as a yardstick on the condition that I can uh, stay in touch with what it was like and not become out of touch with my audience. And um, 
when you're developing these concepts, do you actually get, get much feedback from the audience itself? Like, what are they saying? You know, what, what are they after? Or is it mainly driven by, by you? So um, I also have um, email newsletter that, um, so I've like, I advertise a free ebook and there are many reasons why I have that free ebook. And one of the free, one of the reasons for that is to get the ebook you have to put in your email address. And then that means then that I've got a really big um, direct list of emails to, I can contact directly. So I send out surveys to that to be able to get content ideas. And I ask people, what content do you want? The problem though, is that I will get, I know for certain that uh, that the people that ask for content, they often ask for very specific types of things. And the people that um, give specific requests, often uh, they, actually, they actually represent the minority of my viewers. So for example, one of the most common things that people will ask for is information on taxes. Mm. Um, but And I've made those videos, but they don't get watched that much. And mm. yet it makes up a disproportionate amount of content. Uh, requests that I receive. So I know the people that request specific ideas aren't necessarily um, my general audience. The best way that I judge what my general audience is based on is I'm very lucky because of course I've now got a really big backlog of videos. So what I do is I go into the analytics of all of my old videos. Well, every time I release a video, I will look into my analytics and I will uh, look at the audience retention rate and I'll see which areas of the videos get the most retention. And then that's what helps me drive my content forward in the future to knowing what my audience wants. If a specific area of a video has a high retention rate, that's generally a good indicator that people want more content on that subject. It's a really, really fascinating area. It's one we've, we've looked into a fair bit. It's that concept of, you know, we always tell you know, YouTubers to listen to their audience and see what they're after and use that as, as, as an important way to understand what content people are after. But that has a little caveat to it. And the fact is that like sometimes what people are saying may not actually align with everything people want to watch. Like you said, sometimes they, they, yeah. they're, very, they're very, very strong voices, but they are the minority voices. Um, and then you think, oh, wow, you know, like 10 people are saying that this must be something proportionally you want to watch, but the sample might be, there might be a bias in the sample, right? Um, and you've got exactly like this, 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 and you create these great videos and and all of a sudden, you're like no one's watching them, and you wonder why. So, can you just talk about about that 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 if you've if you've seen that happen? Yeah. So, of course, um, the taxes is a consideration. Um, uh, Trying to think what other topics I've had. Um, I can't think off the top of my head exactly, but I've definitely had it. And um, like, it's it's always super disheartening. You get a bunch of requests for a top, for a video, and then you make the video on that subject, and then people don't watch it. Um, so. Whenever somebody says like, oh, like, you know, like, should you like run a poll to figure out what your um, audience wants? Uh, the question, that's like, no, <laughs> I've, I've definitely discovered that my audience doesn't necessarily know what they want, mm. um, which sounds really rude to tell, to, for, to like, if I was to say that to a subscriber and say, I don't think you know what you really want, they'd probably be really mad at me. But I mean that in the nicest way. I'm like, I actually want to create the best content for you. And so for me to create the best content, I have to trust the analytics. The data is what really talks. Mm. But here's an interesting thing, though. Um, you know, we often find that the people who buy from YouTubers or anyone, for example, are the cl- people who are closest to you. Um, yeah. But and if even they are the, if they are the minority and they are doing the strongest their strongest voice, even though they're watching less, is it possible to think that you know you shouldn't ignore them because they're technically the people who might buy a product if you create them? So yes, you might get less views, but you might get a lot more sales proportionally. That's an interesting idea. Um, so uh, there is like oftentimes in business, you'll find that um, you might get um, a lot of 
a broad interest in like, or it's like advertising, you know, you might reach a mass audience if you run an ad on television, but that doesn't mean that that ad is necessarily going to convert. Um, And so that's definitely something that you have to think about just because you're reaching a broad audience with your subject matter um, doesn't mean then that it's going to actually result in money. More traffic numbers doesn't, traffic and subscriber numbers on YouTube can sometimes be a bit of a vanity metric if you're Mm. trying to be focusing on the dollar signs um, for sure. It makes sense that if you niche down on your subject that you're able to make more money off of each of those viewers because your content's more specific and the more specific your content is, then it's a lot, then you're attracting people that are very passionate about you or your subject matter. Um, But what I really, to be honest, I I want to, if you want to make more money, you have to try to attract both. So that's what I try to do with my content. I try to attract both. So um, for example, I've got a video that's going to come out hopefully tomorrow, and it's going to be about different e-commerce trends in uh, in, in our current uh, COVID-19 era that we're all uh, living it, living through. And for that, you know, I'm probably going to give it, I'm going to give it a broader title, a more exciting, probably more clickbaity title. And I've structured the video so that it's really like, so that anybody can watch it and find it really both entertaining and educational. But I've also got some really like specific, uh, more like advanced things that I discuss inside that video as well, so that it can appeal to both. So rather than just try to niche down and go really specific, I try to fit those sorts of subjects into a broader video. And like, for example, if I wanted to answer a question about, say, like another thing I get asked a lot is about, should you set up a company? Mm. And so instead of like making a whole video on setting up a company, I'd much rather put that into like a, like a 10 tips video and that be one of the tips so that I still get to have more broader general content, but also um, answer those specific questions too. Yeah. So obviously you run your um, a business around this. Um, and is it fair to say that you run your YouTube channel around your business or your business around your YouTube channel? So my, my business takes the precedent and not my YouTube channel. Fair. My YouTube channel has the slot into it. Right. And so how does your YouTube channel support your business? Uh, it supports my business because um, like uh, – I mean, it's got, it's, it's got all of its monetization strategies that exist around it. So Wholesale Ted as a brand um, has its own course called the Econ Clubhouse. So that is um, instead of having like some YouTubers might have merch, well, the equivalent of my merch um, are um, advanced video tutorials uh, that to get access to, you have to purchase a paid subscription to the program. So it has that product. And of course, it has... Um, there are a bunch of other um, partnerships that I have. So I have a partnership with Shopify um, and that's an affiliate partnership, but it's also a pretty close like one. Um, so the YouTube channel course is extremely integral to all of that. It's what brings in the viewers, which brings in the numbers, which is uh, which drives traffic to, to that product. And it also, of course, uh, drives viewers to uh, my videos that I do in partnership with Shopify. Right. And can you just talk to us about like how does the structure of your business generally look in terms of like, you know, how it's sort of built around what are the um, parts that earn revenue and what, what are the various things you do to earn, earn money? So the biggest revenue driver is definitely the course. Mm. Um, so uh, there is the course and um, I've also got my email newsletter subscription, uh, my subscription, uh, my, my uh, but yeah, you can subscribe to my email newsletter, which also gets you a free ebook. When you do that, um, you'll uh, you get a one time um, you've just subscribed, 
uh, you can get um, a $1 trial to the Econ Clubhouse to try it out, see if you like it. It has a seven-day refund policy. So um, if you, even if you don't, even if you're not happy paying a dollar, you can always get that back, although that's extremely rare that anybody ever refunds their $1. Um, and so uh, a lot of people will um, take up that offer when they uh, get my free ebook, which I advertise inside of my YouTube channel. Um, and so, and then of course, once you're on my email newsletter, you're not only will you get like most of the emails in there are just completely content driven. So just like really great um, emails teaching you about e-commerce, but also put in offers in there. Like I will, you know, recommend products that I really like and those have affiliate links. And of course, I'll re-advertise my course again. Um, so my email uh, newsletter, I consider kind of a source of revenue because it drives uh, people back to my other sources, to my other ways to monetize. Um, and of course, I've got um, the uh, my affiliate partnerships um, with Shopify. And my next biggest one is with a service I love called Placeit. Um, I will, in some of my videos, very few, not all, uh, mostly in very tutorial-specific videos on the YouTube channel, I'll post affiliate links into there. So that's another source of revenue. And the AdSense money from the YouTube videos for me is uh, surprisingly, like it's a lot more than what most other YouTubers would get for an audience of my size. So those are my uh, streams of revenue. Okay. And um, have you, we've talked about this before. Um, a lot of YouTubers do use affiliate links and time and time again, they say, you know, it's, it's nice to have because you click on them and you get a little bit of money. Um, but you said the other day, and it's very interestingly that um, affiliate links are actually a big source of revenue if, if you're smart about how you do them and, and who you create an affiliation with. Mm, yeah, that was so funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was um, I was at uh, um, I, was, I was at that um, event with you, and when you said that, I was just like horrified to hear <laughs> this idea that affiliate links would just be the small source of revenue. They're only a small source of revenue if you are selling physical products. So physical products that have affiliate programs will inevitably have to be have pretty small. Uh, margins that you can earn on them simply because the overhead costs of an affiliate product of a physical product are pretty high. So uh, even if, like there, you could definitely have some reasonably lucrative ones, but a lot of people will of course try to use affiliate links from places like Amazon, which have already Amazon recently devalued their affiliate program again. So you make even less money and those commission rates, you know, they're around like 30%. Whereas the, like you take Shopify, for example, if somebody subscribes to Shopify um, with me, because it's a digital product, it has very few overheads. Um, and it's also in a market where it's, it's similar to like banking, where banks will pay really huge commissions to get customers in the door because they know that they're going to keep them for a very long time. Shopify um, are very confident in their product and they know that if you subscribe to them, that you're probably going to stay subscribed for a very long time. So they're willing to pay a lot of money up front and make an upfront loss because they know they're going to make a lot of profit in the future with their digital product with small overheads. So they'll pay me 225% commissions. I don't get that immediately. So I get 100% the first month. I get 100% the second month if they stay subscribed. And then I get 25% on the third month. But that shows you... Um, like how like the difference, you know, like you might sell a $300 camera. If you get 3% commissions, that's $9. If I sell a Shopify subscription and I get 225%, that's 
that's like over $60 commission right there. And one is a $29 sale and the other is a $300 sale. So affiliate marketing can be extremely lucrative on the condition that you're selling products that are actually benefiting from affiliate marketing. Mm. Um, so it's not going to be right for everybody. Not everybody's going to have good affiliate programs in their niche, but obviously I do. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it works out to be pretty profitable for me. Interesting. That is awesome. That is I'm standing here listening to all of this stuff that you do and it's amazing. And then I'm thinking, how the hell do you do all of this? And I think a lot of people listening would be thinking, yeah, like uh, what, how, how is this possible um, that you could possibly be doing? And we haven't even sort of dived into uh, the mechanics of making content. And I think, you know, hopefully people by now, they've been listening to the podcast and, are really interested in the space, understand it is not that easy to make a really great video, but there's all of that as well. How do you do it? So automation, automation, automation. Um, I eat before. I remember um, like a few years ago, I made a video about this actually. I pretty much burnt out on my business because I took on too many tasks and I took on too many tasks and I didn't actually calculate how long each of those tasks would take me. So every week I was working long hours and not achieving the results that I wanted. And of course, this was burning me out. So the way I fixed this was um, somebody in like an entrepreneurial group I was in uh, got me to get um, what's called the productivity planner. There are many productivity planners. This was literally the name of it, this one. And what you had to do was each day you had to put in the tasks you wanted to do. And then you had to guess, guess how long it would take you to complete each task. And then you would put next, and then you would write that time estimate next to each task. And then at the end of the day, you had to go back and say, and actually write in how long it really took you. And that was when I discovered that I was underestimating the amount of time that it was taking me to complete all of these tasks. So I hadn't actually calculated this correctly at all, and I had taken on an impossible amount. So that was when I started to restructure and change everything. And that was a big, and YouTube was a big problem in that regard because I was so used to e-commerce where you can. Um, automate a whole lot of stuff. Um, but with YouTube, uh, there's still manual processes involved as long as you yourself are the presenter. If you yourself are the presenter, and if you're making, if, you got on, if you're on a technical subject like me, I have to pretty much write my videos because I'm the only one that knows anything about it. It's rare knowledge. I can't just send it out to someone else to write my videos for me. So um, automation, automation, automation. I try to automate as much of it as I can. So um, like, for example, I pretty much, I, I very rarely edit my own videos. Um, I have a video editor who uh, edits them for me. Um, and I'm just constantly looking for ways to take tasks off of my plate and either automate them with apps or automate them with staff members. Amazing. How do you start that? I mean, like I, I've, and we, we did, we, I think we brought this up when we were at a YouTube event not that long ago in New Zealand, although it feels a world away. Mm. Um, I think we we see YouTubers particularly sort of very scared to hand over editing. Um, they're like, how yes. could I possibly hand over my creative output? It won't be mine anymore. But at the same time, editing is probably the most time-consuming task a, a YouTuber could have in the content creation process. So how, do you, how did you... Was that hard for, for, for you to let that go? No. So that was that was one task that, uh, to be fair, video editing was never a part of my burnout. There, um, it, That was more like the monetization side um, 
which I uh, was taking too much on myself. Um, but in terms of uh, the editing, that was something that I immediately knew I needed to get off of my plate. So um, after my first, like, I, I can't remember how many, it was probably like three, maybe like my first like three videos where I was slideshow talking on top of, I was talking on top of PowerPoint slides. I then went and was like, huh, this is, this is surprisingly working out. This is kind of cool. Maybe I'll get a camera. So I got a camera and I filmed myself. And then I went to edit it. And I was like, wow, this takes so much longer to edit than my slideshow videos. There's no way I'm going to do this. <laughs> Why would I do this? This is a waste of my time. When this is a task that someone else can do infinitely better than me. So from the very beginning, I had a video editor edit my videos. Um, it's definitely true that uh, you will over time build up a style with your editor. With, with, with the, sorry, when you're when you're making your own videos, you will have a style. So I've built up that style with my video editor. So it's been easy for me, of course, um, because it's been a collaboration. Whereas for people who have been making their own videos, they'll have their own style. And it will be difficult initially. I'm sure there'll be a lot of kinks involved in trying to get another editor to be able to replicate their style. But it's just like with any staff member, you need to be willing to go through a process where for maybe the first three months, you're not actually making any money and you might be adding more time to your plate because you have to go back and forth with them. And you might think, well, why am I hiring this person? It's only taking, it's taking me longer now, but it's because you're making an investment now into your future. You can't expect an immediate payoff from hiring a video editor necessarily if you have a very specific style but it will definitely pay off into the future. And I have a friend, um, I think he might've been on here before. Um, I don't, I won't out him in case he doesn't want to be outed, but oh, he. come on. He... <laughs> Let's no. give him a good, cool code name at least. Uh, oh, cool Go on. code. Um, ooh. Dr. Roboto. Um, sorry, what? <laughs> Dr. Roboto. <laughs> Dr. Roboto. Dr. Roboto. Um, he was spending, uh, he was spending like five days a week um, to, uh, to film and edit and release his YouTube videos. Well, um, I convinced him to get a video editor. And then I went and talked to him a few months later and he's like, oh yeah, like now I work two days a week and I have two YouTube channels. <laughs> so I'm making way more money than I was before because I'm releasing more videos and I work, I work like just a fraction of it. I work two days. I got like, I got five days gained. And um, so then I had, so then another friend of mine, um, Mr. Roboto too, the same deal. <laughs> he was in a worse situation. He was extremely stressed out. He was working six days a week, very long hours on those days so that he could then have one day off free. Um, he was like, he has a very specific style and he's like, there's no way I can give this to a video editor. And I also don't want to give up the money. And I was like, nah, you have to do it anyway. And he resisted. And then I came back to him a couple of months later and he's like, oh yeah, I got a video editor. And now I work, oh, so I think like three days a week now he works, but he also uses two other days to work on his own personal passion projects. So his mental health has drastically improved. And with the time that he gained back, he was able to put that towards his other passion projects, which are now bringing him money as well. So the time that you get, the, the money that you lose in hiring the video editor, you'll inevitably make back because you have monetize, you have skills, which you know you, you can make money from. So you can just use those skills to scale your business. Amazing. So just be Dr. Roboto, be Mr. Roboto. Yes. I want to ask you about your audience um, and sort of, how that's developed over time and like what kind of people listen to your channel because we have there's obviously a distinction between um, creators who create like entertainment content for example versus how-to creators a lot of how-to creators find their audience sometimes a little bit transactional like come there for a little while find out what they want and then they move on how do you 
build and develop your audience um, long term with a how-to channel? That's see, that's so funny because it's true. Like I was going to say, I was thinking like you're probably going to a lot of people would probably be surprised because my audience is less transactional. So it's definitely true. A lot of how-to channels have a very transactional audience. They want to come in and they want to watch videos on a very specific type of subject and then they go away. And this is actually a big reason why when I first started my YouTube channel, I was obsessed with search engine traffic within YouTube's algorithm. Now I don't actually care for that traffic at all because I've discovered that it has they have less retention rates, um, the audience is way less engaged, and they subscribe at a much less rate. The much more engaged audience are people that come in through browse and people that come in through suggested. And those are people that aren't just on YouTube for a transactional reason. They're people that are just interested in, like, they just want to be on YouTube and they just want to watch videos. Um, And so people, that's where I get most of my subscribers from, is from that audience. So, I mean, they watch me because they they enjoy learning things. But just because they enjoy learning things doesn't mean that they're treating my channel in a transactional way. They find my videos entertaining, um, oftentimes uplifting. A lot of people watch me because they find me uplifting because I'm generally a pretty uh, positive, upbeat person. So my videos are uplifting, they're positive, and they're learning something at the same time. Um, So my channel doesn't just fall into the educational space. It also has a slight like entertainment twist as well, because people aren't just there to learn things. They're also there um, for just the experience of watching me too. Interesting. And um, have you found them to be a very positive audience? Like, do you, do you get a lot of trolls within the audience? Or is it just generally very positive and very, you know, business-minded people who are, who are there? <laughs> Well, oh, right. So no, I've got a huge demographic um, thing as well. So my demographic is trends way older than um, a lot of most YouTubers that I talk to. So uh, my audience pretty much starts at the age of 25. From the age of 25 up, that's the vast majority of my audience. Anytime my videos hit a younger audience, the number of trolls I get massively increases. Mm. <laughs> but generally, my audience is pretty respectful. Um, you definitely get some trolls. I've got um, one troll who will come into every single one of my videos and harass it. <laughs> um, but uh, what I've discovered by going to YouTuber events is that, you know, I thought that was like maybe just like me, like maybe maybe I've just attracted these people. And they're like, no, I have them too. Like literally everybody has them. So uh, you know, Generally, my audience is, is very positive. They have there's a huge range of people. Um, I genu- I genuinely have some people that don't have any interest in starting an online business that just enjoy watching me. That is one subset of my audience, especially my accent. My accent is what generally is that's what draws them in is my accent. That's oh, the, that, yeah. And, I was very and interested then I have, in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I have the people who um who who are new to starting a business. And then I've got a, I've got a, I've also got like a really like a surprisingly like big subset of people too who like they watched me when they were first starting their businesses and they've been with me for years and now they run successful businesses and that, that's what I mean I have to um, I have to balance it out my my content for them as well um, so I've got people like all like across the ranges. <laughs> I want to talk about your accent for a second because <clears throat> obviously you're, you're from New Zealand and I presume your audience is a lot of audience you have from like the US and from Europe, I'm guessing as well. Um, yeah. Uh, do people immediately realize where you're from or do you get a lot of questions asking like, you know, where is this interesting accent from? Um, so yeah, almost nobody, there's just, my accent is just such an interesting topic of discussion. Um, people, most people, very few people pick it initially. Some people will think I'm trying to put on a fake Australian accent <laughs> and I'll be like, what a terrible fake Australian accent. It's like, well, <laughs> Wait, let me tell that, you. I want to hear that accent. Come on. 
the fake australian i can't i can't i can't even i actually can't i can't do fake accents yay mate no i really can't um so um are you Come on, yeah. bro. Oh, hey, bro. That's yeah. a terrible accent. Sure, sure, bro. No, do it, do New Zealand accent. Bro, you, you hurt me, bro. Uh, <laughs> do, do people get but you to I, say certain words though? Like there bro? are certain words that New Zealanders say that are, are, are very, you know, very Shop. strangely said generally for the world. That, have you ever, have, yeah. It, so of course, anything that involves the letter E, and it's a real problem because my YouTube channel is literally wholesale Ted. Yeah. So. Um, I, like I can't say my own channel name because everybody thinks I'm saying Ted. Right. So, if you, so if you said Peg, what would that sound like? Pig. Pig. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I, I don't even like. I already hear it. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the worst is like um, I used to back when I could travel. I'd go to a lot of uh, Magic the Gathering tournaments, and um, you have to like the word the word Dick. <laughs> gets you say it a lot so um i couldn't Wait, you ever, say the like, word you, have, you, say, you mean you mean deck right deck 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 deck, deck. deck. <laughs> <laughs> you said so, the word dick is right i heard yeah and the worst thing though is i'm sitting across and you know generally like it, it generally i'm usually um versing off against a male and you have to like you know you have to use that word like constantly and you have to be like you have to say like you know can i like can I cut your dick? And they're like, <laughs> oh. Yes, yes. Good strategy. Good strategy. <laughs> do, you, um, do you think, you know, being a Kiwi uh, in this spa- in the space and in, in, the, in the niche that you're in, do you think that, that helps you stand out as well? Like, even though people are confused sometimes about what you're saying, is not to be an American bro or a Gary I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. It's like some people, they'll be like, I wonder if you're an advantage because, you know, number one, I'm a Kiwi. That makes me interesting. Number two, I'm a, I'm a female and um, that's very rare in this niche. And people, some people will be like, that puts you an advantage. But I don't actually know because I get just as many, just as many people who say, I love your videos and I love like your accent. It's so cool. I get just as many other people that say, I literally can't stand your voice. I can't stand your accent. Yeah, I'm really interested in the subject matter, but I'm going to click away and I'm not going to subscribe because I can't stand your accent. So, um, and also, and I think it, I think it restricts the number of people that I can subscribers I can get from Asia because of the fact that, um, for them, you know, they're already oftentimes watching content in um, a language that isn't one that they feel super comfortable with. So um, they want to be able to understand an accent that they've heard on TV and media. So they come along to me. Like that was why the people that often say that I'm saying words wrong, they're more likely to be coming from Asia because they simply just never heard that accent before and it's understandable. So I think that it limits my audience that I can get from Asia because of the fact that they just haven't heard a New Zealand accent before and can't understand the words. Um, so I'd say it helps me just as much as it hurts me. But I also think that it's it's an interesting question, that it should never stop anybody because you can't help your accent, you know? <laughs> like, it doesn't, like, it's, you should just try it anyway and just deal with, like, the cards that you're dealt in life rather than be concerned about, uh, be like, oh, I wish I, wish I had a different accent. It's like, well... You have this one, so let's run with it and make the most of it. And what I'll often do these days is one of the top, like often 
um, pin a comment um, at the top that will like make fun of my own accent. So I'll be like, you heard this word. This is its actual meaning. <laughs> this equals this. This equals this. <laughs> I, lo- I-, I love that. It, it, like, it, you know, it, it's you. It's part of who you are. And um, there's no point, like you said, trying to pretend it's not who you are and um and letting that stop you or trying to change that because i think that would be incredibly energy draining to pretend to be someone you're not as well um and then just leaning into it and owning it's bloody brilliant i think yeah so i have like a friend who um he's not on youtube but um he's in the affiliate marketing space and he tested um to see them like by just using saying that word right then tested um he tested two videos against each other there are two sales videos for um, a product he was selling one he did in an american accent and one he did in his new zealand accent the american accent video did get 20 percent more sales he made 20 percent more sales with the American accent. And it was pretty much the only difference in the videos. However, he was like, look, I know I could make more money if I presented videos in an American accent, but it's not who I am and I don't find it comfortable. So I would rather just present videos as I am so that I can have a much more enjoyable business. Before we move on, can we give this person a name as well? Um, Oh, yes. Um, Captain Not America? Captain Not America, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Or Mr. Mr. Kiwi because he's... Yes, he is a Kiwi, Mr. Kiwi. Mr. Kiwi, Captain Not America. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's cool. Like, yeah, you've got to live with, you've, you've got to live with what you're making and doing. I think that's pretty important. And it's important to enjoy what you're doing too. Mm. Frederico? I was going to say, uh, <laughs> before we round out these interviews, we always ask for your top three tips for uh, any budding YouTubers out there. Cool. Um, so I guess tip number one would be that too. Uh, so you've got to enjoy, you've got to enjoy your YouTube channel. I don't recommend, especially for your first YouTube channel, um, don't make it on a subject that you're not passionate about because when it takes off and when it's successful, you're going to be creating a lot of content on the subject for a very long time. I've watched a lot of YouTube channels in my space burn out just simply because their creators got sick of making content and it wasn't something that they started out being passionate about. They only did it for the money. So uh, make sure that you're actually really passionate about it. Um, Number two, definitely when you're starting a channel, if you plan on this becoming something that could make you money in the future, uh, think about um, alternative monetization strategies because for most YouTube channels, they can make a lot more money off of products rather than AdSense money. It's not always the case, but for many channels, there's many alternative advert money making sources out there. Um, and then my third tip would be if the moment that you can, even if it means that you're going to be significantly dipping into your profit, the moment that you can afford to get a video editor, get a video editor ASAP. You will not regret it. <laughs> Very good, very good. And look, before we before we before we leave um, this wonderful interview, uh, you, you're, you're very experienced in e-commerce. I'm sure you meet people who have a lot of crazy ideas about what they want to sell online. Um, knowing a little bit about Ant and myself, what <laughs> do you think if Ant had an e-commerce store, he'd sell, or if I had an e-commerce store, I would be selling? Oh, um, wow. Uh, right now, did you know that like the absolute hottest item that you could be selling right now is some form of a face covering like you can't advertise it obviously as um being like effective but uh there are now print on demand apps that are creating like neck gaiters um so i think you'd have like your own neck gaiters with your own pictures on it (laughs) have like your photos on it (laughs) and you could like 
get other people's faces printed on your own one you could walk around in public being somebody else like you could <laughs> one day one day i wouldn't be surprised yeah i'm just i'm waiting for somebody to to start sounding like you because you know you can get like your dogs printed onto socks i'm waiting for someone to do it so that you can get dogs printed onto your own net gaiters so you walk into the supermarket and you have pictures of your dog all over <laughs> your face <laughs> Uh, awesome. I, ha- I have I have expression. socks with my dog on it, so I'm 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 probably in that fan, and I'm probably going to look at that option. Nice, <laughs> 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 awesome. Sarah. Th- thanks so much uh, for being with us and uh, joining us on Creator Generation. You've been had some like honestly some really great tips. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah.